Amen. All right, let's do this. Let's look at Revelation chapter 4. This morning, I preached a message entitled Accessing the Throne, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. It'll be online in the next couple days. And I just talked about the gift that God has given us that we have access to his presence and to his person anytime, any day that we want for as long as we want. There's not a CEO of a major corporation in the, com- in the country that un- unless you are a sibling or a spouse of that person that you have that opportunity with. But you have it with the uncreated God. And so I shared in detail about that. I talked about how the blood of Jesus has made a way and how the Holy Spirit, he's the one that sort of bridges that transport. It's not a figurative thing that when we come before him, it's not, we're not figuratively before him. We're actually before his throne. And we're actually speaking to our Father who's really there, really in the throne room, really listening to our voice. And we don't, we don't just come as a fly on the wall. We actually come and we, we gain an audience with the eternal God. And he never puts us off. He never says, have you seen how busy I am? Have you seen the mess in Syria? I don't have time for you right now. He never says that. He always says come. He's always inviting us to come. And the access is always open. And it's not on the basis of any of our own merits. It's only on the basis of the blood of Jesus. It's not on the basis of sort of how many spiritual push-ups you've done. It's not on, on the basis of any of our own works. It's all on the blood of Jesus. Ready? Even when you sin, it's still on the basis of the blood of Jesus that we're able to come. And when we come, that's an activity of repentance. We turn to him and we turn away from sin. And it says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. I preached that whole message this morning. Don't, I won't preach the whole thing again. <gasps> Go back and listen to it. What I want to do now is I want to talk through the details of this throne room. I want, I want to look at the, the unique uh, specifics that the Lord gives us in the Word of God that show us, you know, different facets of wonder about this place that we have access to. I feel like uh, we kind of, you know, get it, like we have access to the throne but we don't have uh, many times a very clear biblical understanding of even what that means. Uh, you know, some believers, they kind of just think, well, when I pray, you know, it's like he's in the clouds or something, and they don't actually picture what the Bible says that the throne room is like. And so what I want to do is I want to walk us through the details that the Scripture gives us so that we can tune our prayer life in a way that's in accordance with the Scripture so that we can actually get biblical in our understanding. And I'll tell you, the more biblical we get, the more anointed it will get. 
The more that we're in accord with the scripture, the more prophetic it will be, the more glory-filled it will be, the more powerful it will be. When we're sort of just imagining things out of the air and we're not allowing the Bible to sort of give us the roadmap, we're making up things out of our own imagination. It's, it, it's not, it doesn't have unction. It doesn't have anointing. But the word of God is living and powerful. So when we, when we actually uh, allow the word to give us the roadmap, man, our hearts explode in truth. And so here's, here's my hope for tonight. My hope for tonight is that as I'm teaching through Revelation 4, we all, we all just step into Revelation 4. We just all corporately go there in our heart, in our mind, in our spirit. We just, we just begin to go there. And, 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 and when I mean go there, I mean go there because right now we have access to this place. And so uh, I'm hoping, my, my, my desire is that as I'm teaching through this, the spirit of revelation will come on this whole place and we'll just begin to go into the throne room together. How many would like that tonight? Amen. Well, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to do that for us. <clears throat> so, Lord, I step before you by the blood of your Son with the Holy Spirit escort. And Father, I am grateful that you are gracious. You've made a way that I could be before you. You desired that I would be before you in love. And here I am with this company, brothers and sisters together, we come. And I pray that even tonight, as we look into the scripture, that you would fascinate our holy imagination, that you would take us into an encounter with you before the throne. Just as we look at these sacred words in Revelation 4, that our hearts again would be shocked and we would, we would be piqued in wonder pique our interest, draw us in to revelation. I pray for the spirit of revelation to rest on this room, to rest on every heart, and that we would just step before you and encounter the glory and the wonder and the majesty of your throne. This is our portion, to set our minds on things above and to seek those things above. So that's what we're doing tonight. Lord, we thank you. I ask you, let me speak as your oracle tonight. Hold my hand, I pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. And I'll just mention this, that the next couple days at our noon devotionals in the prayer room, we'll be talking about the, the throne room of God at noon. All right, so Revelation 4. Let's just do this to begin with. Let's just read all 11 verses. I'm in the New King James Version. I just want to read through this just to sort of salt the atmosphere with this. So, <clears throat> Revelation 4, verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things, things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. 
There was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to encourage you. We're, we're only going to look at Revelation 4 tonight. We probably won't get through the whole chapter, but I want to encourage you. When you go back and look at this later, Revelation 4 and 5, they're one continuous package. So what we see is in Revelation 4, John begins to describe the throne, and he's expressing you know, the, the, the unique uh, you know, dynamics of the throne. What he's looking at is the eternal father. And then by Revelation 5, he begins to then explain to us that he sees a scroll in the hand of the Father and that the Lamb, who's been slain from the foundation of the world, comes before the throne. And then there's this sort of heavenly explosion of, of praise in the de declaration of the worth of the Lamb of God. It's one scene. We're just sort of getting the, the first part of the scene in Revelation 4. So verse 1, we're just going to work through this verse by verse. I just want us to get into the text. Verse 1, he says, After these things I looked, and the, these things, it was John on the Isle of Patmos. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he says. And he's, so the Patmos was a, a, a prison. That, the whole island was a prison. It was in an, an archipelago set of islands. In Asia Minor. So he's, he's on the, the, the Isle of Patmos. It's kind of like Alcatraz in, in, out off the coast of San Francisco. He's there. He's in the spirit. And Jesus appears to him. So when he says after these things, that these things are Jesus appearing to John on the Isle of Patmos. And Jesus gives him seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor that were churches that John had uh, a spiritual authority over in that day. Now, that would have been an awesome, amazing, quiet time. You're standing there, you're in jail, you're praying. He hears this voice behind him like a trumpet. 
says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He goes, I turn to see the voice. And he says he sees him, his face is shining like the sun in its strength. I love that, Revelation 1. I, 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 just, I, I go through those details when I picture Jesus. But he goes through this encounter where now, now Jesus is dictating these seven letters, these seven churches. If that's all that happened to John, that would be a life, I mean, a life-marking, life-changing, historic encounter of a lifetime, right? But after that, after that encounter, it says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door was opened in the heavens. So he looks and he actually sees this door, this doorway that's, that's open and it's there before him. Now, can you imagine, you've just come out of this encounter where Jesus, the risen Christ in his glorified state, is speaking to you like a trumpet. You look up, and there is a portal way that's open into the heavens. And it says, this door is standing open, and the first voice, or the, the, the way the text reads in other translations is, the voice I heard at the first, it's Jesus' voice again. He says, uh, this voice was like a trumpet, and he says, come up here. Come up here. I want to tell you something. The Lord has not stopped saying, come up here to the church. He's constantly calling believers to come up here. Our problem is we live in the earth, and we live from the earth. But what he's inviting us to is to come up here and to live on the earth, but to live from heaven's vantage point, to live from heaven's perspective, to live from the revelatory realm of the throne room so that everything that we see happening in the earth realm, it actually has understanding that's not earthly, but we actually have understanding of it from a heavenly perspective. I'm telling you, even right now, the Lord is shouting, come up here to the church. And I believe that as we get closer to the time of the Lord's return, the come up here is gonna turn into many who have actually gone up there like John did. Now we can go up there, we close our eyes, we say, Father, we are there by the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus, but there are real heavenly encounters that are of a, even a different order than that that the Lord wants to give to the church where people actually have the same order of an encounter like what John had. It's real when you close your eyes and you go before the throne. That's very, very real. But there's another order where the Lord actually wants to take people up in the spirit. Just like what he did with Ezekiel, just like what he did with John, take people up in the spirit. And that come up here, the Lord is shouting that to the church. And, 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 and I think it's critical for us right now because our perspective, it's so informed by the earth that if we live with a finite perspective informed by the earth, we'll actually begin to believe demonic ideologies and it will cause the, the church to go astray. 
But if we can live from heaven's perspective with the word of God in our hand, hearing the voice of the Lord, enlightening the eyes of our understanding in the scripture, we have heaven's understanding about the activity of the earth. As things grow darker and darker in the age and in, in the days to come, we will have a, a clear perspective of truth to be able to discern good and evil, right and wrong, truth and error. And our hearts will stay at ease and at rest as we have heaven's voice. So the come up here is something God is speaking to all of us, but this, I want to say very, very clearly, was a real encounter that the apostle John had. He looked, he saw a door, he hears the voice come up here, and he says, I will show you things. And that's what the Father is saying to you and I. He's saying, I want to show you things. I want to show you things to come. I want to speak and give you my heart. I want to tell you what's getting ready to happen. I want to give you my opinion, and I want to give you my emotions. I want you to feel what's in my mind. I want to show you things. He says, come up here. I want to show you things that must take place that are going to come to pass. And then in verse 2, he says this, immediately I was in the Spirit. Interesting. I mean, I just think, weren't you in the Spirit already? Because <laughs> he was. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice behind me like a trumpet. Now he sees the door open. The voice has come up here, and he goes from having an amazing encounter on the earth to actually traveling through that door into the throne room of God. This is This is shocking. I mean, this is, I mean, this is so huge. He says, I was there. He, he blasts off. And we end up with, you know, chapter 4 to chapter 22 of the encounters that he has after he goes through that open door. And that's what the book of Revelation is. I, I've heard commentators and teachers say, well, this this, this uh, verse 1 of Revelation 4, this is um, the, the, where the church gets raptured in the book of Revelation. And I, and I just look at it and I go, if we just read the text, this has nothing to do with the church getting raptured. This has everything to do with John going into the throne room. There, there's no mention of the church being raptured in this, in this portion of text. We'd have to read something into it to believe that. But what we see is John blasting off into this heavenly portal and landing in the throne room. It says, immediately I was in the spirit. And then behold, 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 a throne set in heaven. That phrase, a throne set in heaven. John comes before the throne of the uncreated God. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on in the Apostle John's mind because he says, behold, a throne set in heaven and one seated on the throne. I guarantee his entire being knew that he was before God. And, and John is one of the foremost theologians in the New Testament obviously taught by Jesus himself. 
He, he, he knew, Jesus said, no one has seen the Father but him who comes from the Father. And, and he knew the, the story you know, of the Old Testament, Moses, when, when he says, show me your face. And he says, you can't see my face, you won't live. And now John's standing in that place as a human being, and he's perceiving the one on the throne. I got to think John is shaking. I got to think he's trembling. He's in wonder and shock at what is about to happen to me. You know, I don't know if you've ever had, uh, I've never had anything close to this order, but I've had sometimes, you know, pretty intense spiritual encounters. And the thing that's always interesting is how my natural mind is, is completely working the entire time. Like the spiritual thing is happening, it's, it's a God thing, and my mind is thinking weird things. <laughs> Like, what, what is this? This is so strange. Like, you know, my mind is trying to figure it out. I just imagine John, behold, a throne set in heaven and one seated on the throne. And he is probably just, his mind is probably exploding. That throne set in heaven is the throne that is the center of all created order and existence. It is the throne that is the central place of meaning and power of everything that exists. That throne is where the eternal Father rules and reigns from. And can you imagine what's going on in John when he looks on the throne and the eternal Father is there seated? Now a king, if a king is on his throne, he's actually engaged in the affairs of rulership. When he's on his throne, he's ruling. When he arises to rest, he goes away from his throne. But here the father is engaged on the throne, and so John is perceiving the heavenly father on the throne, and he realizes he's seated there. He's ruling and engaged in the affairs of humanity. He's ruling the universe. He's ruling the spirit and the natural, the heavens and the earth. He's ruling the created order. And this, this is a massive key to intercession. When this phrase, that throne set in heaven, when that drops down into your spirit, it changes the way you think about making intercession before that throne. Because that set in heaven, it actually gives us real clarity of the authority of that throne. It's infinitely exalted above every other throne. There are no other thrones set in heaven. The only other ones we see are the 24 elders. They've got minor league thrones around the throne. But no earthly ruler, no demonic prince does not, they don't have thrones in the third heavens. They have seats of authority in a lower place, but this is the only one set in heaven. And that phrase means that every other authority, every other power, every other earthly kingdom, every other earthly authority, it actually has to pay homage to the one that's set in the heavens. 
So when you come, you are welcomed into the throne. The blood of Jesus has completely made a way for you to come before that throne. The Father who's seated on the throne is so glad to see you, wants to hear your voice. And then he says, make your requests known to me. You're now making requests to the one on the throne that's set in heaven. No other throne can impact that throne. His throne impacts every other throne. But he asks you to make requests. Oh, beloved, the dignity that he's given us that we would be able to come and stand before him and just ask, behold, a throne set in heaven and one seated on it. When you close your eyes to pray, that's who you're talking to. The one that's from forever, the one that's to forever, the, the scripture says the nations are like dust on the scale compared to him. <laughs> They're like a drop in the bucket compared to him. There's nothing, you know, we, we sing the song, nothing too difficult for you, nothing too difficult for thee. You remember that old song? It's not that there's nothing too difficult. There's nothing difficult. There's nothing hard for him. Behold, a throne set in heaven. Part of our challenge is that when we come before the throne, we've, we've minimized who God is, and we've made his throne maybe just a little better than the other thrones in the earth. We go, oh man, Islam. <gasps> Scary. No, not compared to this one. Not compared to this throne set in heaven. Well, LGBTQ is really on the rise in America. No, not compared to this one. I mean, in one millisecond, he can take any throne that he wants and flip it completely over. This throne is the only one set in heaven. And one seated there. And now we, so, so that's the authority piece, but now we enter in to the divine entertainment piece. Because what John begins to see, it, it explodes his senses. It causes his senses to explode. It pins all of his, his sensory uh, you know, capacities. It pins them all to 10. He gets, he gets completely inundated with wonder and glory and fire and beauty and majesty. What's coming off of the throne begins to cause John to fail in his explanation. As I read it a moment ago, you may have noticed he uses the word like over and over and over. Like a jasper, like a sardius, like an emerald. And over and over and over, he says, like, its appearance was like. And it's the same thing that Ezekiel experienced, that when Ezekiel sees the throne and he sees this, the, 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 these living creatures and, and this throne chariot and the wheels within the wheels and this, this giant cloud of fire and glory and one seated there above that thing and he sees this firmament, this sapphire, this, this beautiful uh, sapphire sea. He's looking at all this thing. Man, everything he, he begins to say, he says, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, because his words don't actually capture the reality of what he's actually seeing. And this is what John is dealing with. 
He's, he's, he's telling us, I'm seeing stuff that I don't have good language for, so the best I can offer you is a comparison of stuff that I know, because this I do not know. And he says, he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. Jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. That jasper, is a, it's, it would be the, the diamond of the ancient world. It would be a, a beautiful white or, or, or light green, brilliant lighted uh, gem. And the, the sardius was a stone from sardius. It was, it, we would call it a carnelian now. It's a ruby red, a beautiful ruby red. So what we have is this, this brilliant diamond-like light that's coming off of him on the throne, and it's mingled with this beautiful ruby red light. And, and these two colors, they speak of the very nature of God. They're not normal colors. He's using the term like to try to create a comparison. He's trying to grab for something that he recognizes. But what we have is we have light coming off the being of God that's unlike anything John's ever seen. He's using this comparison. And I'm going to tell you, if you were to step before the throne right now, you would see diamond-like, glorious light of diamond you know, hues with, with a light green tint, and you would see a ruby-like red, brilliant and rich coming out of the eternal father. And this place that he steps into is a, it's an explosion of, of a sensory experience. And, and so John is undoubtedly giving us, he's giving us all the um, details that he could capture but he's not giving us all the details of the place. He's being overwhelmed with infinite. If you were trying to break down for me infinite and explain infinite, and, and it was coming at you in sight, sound, color, smell, and feeling, how would you say it? How would you explain to me infinite? He says he's like a jasper. He's like a sardius. And that jasper, that speaks of his purity, his holiness, his righteousness, his beauty. He's so pure. He's so clean. We've never come in contact with anything like God. He's pure at the highest degree. Purity doesn't define him. He is purity. He is beauty. He is wonder and shock and awe, and it is coming off of him. And it's not just a color. It's actually the expression of God. Who God is is now filling the atmosphere. When you're in that place, the entire throne is alive with the being of God. So the light that's coming off of him has feeling and character. You know, when, when you feel the presence of the Lord, what do you feel? You feel something, right? And, and you, you know, some say, I feel peace. I feel joy. Some say, I feel fire. I, I feel love. I, I feel, you know, and, 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 and conviction. I, I feel this intensity. What are you feeling? What is it that you're feeling, though? 
You're feeling him. He's in his presence. And so this light that's coming off the throne, that's beginning to, to wash over John, that he's beginning to drink in, that his eyes are perceiving, I guarantee you it wasn't just what he was seeing. He was feeling that light. <laughs> when we come before him, the entire atmosphere of that place is charged with the essence of the one on the throne. He's a jasper. He's beautiful. He's brilliant. He's glorious. He's like a sardius. Ruby red. So the, the jasper speaks of his righteousness. The ruby red speaks of his justice. The scripture tells us his throne is established on righteousness and justice. And that's what's coming out of him. The expression of the nature of God in righteousness and justice. And then it says there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now, let me ask you this. What color is a rainbow? Variety of colors, right? What color is an emerald? How do you get an emerald rainbow? What is that? Don't answer. We see... What's happening is he is failing now <laughs> because the words that he has and the experiences that he can draw from, they don't match what he's now seeing. What he's seeing is beyond what he has any reference for. It's an emerald rainbow, and it says this rainbow is around the throne. Now, his throne is established on righteousness and justice, and mercy goes before him, is what the scripture says. And here's what I want to tell you. This expression of this emerald rainbow, it speaks of the mercy of God. Remember, after the flood, the rainbow in the sky, God said, I'll never destroy the earth by water again. It was an emblem of his covenant and of his mercy, Right? This emerald rainbow is a, it's an emblem of the mercy of the heart of God. So listen, every activity that God releases from the throne, we're going to talk about that in a second, lightning and thundering. Everything that comes from the throne, it goes through that emerald rainbow. Because it's not just over the throne, it's around the throne. It's like an emerald rainbow dome. The light is diamond and beautiful red. The emerald rainbow, I'm not sure exactly how you perceive that, but it wraps the throne and everything that comes off the being of God comes through mercy. It all comes through mercy. Everything he ever does is through mercy. All of his judgments are through mercy. Verse four, around the throne are 24 thrones. And on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. There's different ways that commentators think about these, these elders. I see them as the 12 apostles of the Lamb. 
and the, the 12 patriarchs of Israel. It speaks, the, the white robes speak of the righteous acts of the saints. And this crown, it speaks of the victory that we have in Christ. And so here is this heavenly council, 24 thrones. And I, and I love, when I close my eyes and I, and I begin to speak to the Father, I say, Father, I always picture the throne complex. And I picture the 24 thrones. And I kind of picture 12 and a half circle on one side, 12 and a half circle on the other side, the throne of God there at, at the center with the light and the glory and the beauty coming off of him who's sitting on the throne with the emerald rainbow around the throne. I picture myself stepping right into that audience. Just even saying it, my heart just begins to tremble a little bit. It is a, it is a place of wonder and beauty and majesty. We like to call it the heavenly symphony because there's so many things happening that are all operating together. The sound, the color, the smell, the, I mean, just the person of God manifest. The elders. So these elders, they're extremely exalted. Obviously, they've got the front row seat to the eternal father. But the number one thing that we see them do in the book of Revelation, anybody know? They fall before him. We see them fall before him like a half a dozen times. They are, they are in this highly exalted position, and the number one thing they do is fall before him and throw their crowns. That just gives you indication of how highly exalted he is. And it says this at verse 5, from the throne proceeds lightnings, thunderings, and voices. That that. Uh, word that's translated voices is also translated in the book of Revelation uh, noises. There's sounds. There's sounds coming out of the being of God. Well, there's lightning coming out of the being of God. There's thunder coming out of the being of God. And there's sound emanating from God. It's, just, it's <laughs> quite fascinating. Because in the book of Job, chapter 37, it says the Lord he speaks with his voice, and when he speaks, the heavens thunder, and he commands where the lightning is to strike. What's going on is this, that out of the very being of God, the voice of God is thundering, and the answer to human prayer is coming in lightning. It's the activity of God's judgment, good and bad, blessing and, and correction happening. John's actually seeing this thing coming out of him. It's the decrees of heaven coming out of the being of God, coming out of God. The thunder and the lightning. Now, you and I are used to heavenly thunder. You ever had one of those that like woke you up in the middle of the night? It's like bang, like right over your head. You're like, ah, you never had one of those? I guarantee you, the one that you had that freaked you out the most is nothing compared to this. It's coming out of him. We're not talking about, you know, pressure systems or some atmospheric barometric-y things. We're not talking about that. We're talking about God thundering. It's exploding out of God. He's watching it. Lightning exploding out of God. 
Not just sort of like, you know, heat lightning. You ever, had, you ever had one of those where you see the lightning bolt like land? You ever, anybody ever been struck by lightning? Just curious. Anybody? Yeah. So nobody here uh, for the record. But, I mean, you ever had one of those like, and the thing comes right in front of you like, whoa. I can remember like humid summer nights when I was a kid and be outside and it's getting ready to storm and the lightning is exploding and you kind of, you, your hair would get a little staticky. You ever had that? So intense. Nothing. <laughs> It's nothing compared to this. This is infinite God. And what's coming out of him is beyond anything that you and I have ever touched or, or felt. And, and, and this is what's, what, the, what the decrees of God are like. This is what the answers of prayer are like. This is what the, the declarations of God are like. Thunders and lightnings. And, and noises that include voices and sounds and music. All sorts of things coming out of him. Beloved, I just want to tell you something. We've not scratched the surface on revelation of who this one is. We, we've not barely begun to see him at all. I, I know a couple people who have had throne room like encounters where they they literally went there not just that that you know kind of what's been provided for us we enter the throne that's a real encounter i'm talking about they they were walking around in that place they were touching and feeling themselves it was a, it was a full 3d encounter like what what john's having and I'm telling you, when, when you go into that place, the ones that I've met that have gone in there, when they come back, they aren't coming back like, oh, it was just awesome. They're coming back like, I don't even want to talk about it. It was too holy. I'm undone. Like, they, they're just, they're wrecked. And I'm just telling you, we have barely scratched the surface on this thing of what's available to us, of who we're talking to, of what he is like. And here's what I believe. We need to become so aware of him that none of this sounds weird. So connected to him, so set in our minds upon him that this sounds absolutely normal, normal in the most glorious way, but familiar in that it's something that we, we know that this is our father. This isn't bizarre. Thunders, lightnings, sounds, noises, voices coming out of him. I get to these points and I just go, Wait, let, me, let me see it, God. I want, I want to see it. I want to see you. I want to perceive you. I want, I want to experience you. I don't want to just talk about you. I, I want to engage you. I, I want this to be my normal. Because you know it and I know it. We're made for this. We're made for the transcendent. Everything else, it's, it's, just, it's just a shadow and a vapor. Everything else is such a tease. 
It, it, it doesn't matter how cool the special effects are or how wondrous the scenery is or how wild the, the skydiving event or the deep sea diving event or whatever kind of adrenaline thing you can conjure. It's only tickling the thing on the inside that lets us know that we were made for eternity. I'm fully unsatisfied with this place because I know I'm made for something transcendent. I'm made for shock and awe. I'm made for fire and wonder and glory. I, I know I'm made for something more. And when I read the, the words on this page, I go, he's only given me the, the few details that John could, could handle to, to, to remember. And this piques my imagination. How much more is there? Because there's something in the inside that says, this is what I was made for. I was made for beauty. I was made for pleasure. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. You wrap yourself in light like a garment. He dwells in unapproachable light. I go, how is that possible? How is it unapproachable, light like a garment, and pleasure evermore? How is it all of that? It's because when you're in this position like John, he's feeling drawn to him because it's pleasure, beauty, wonder like he's never seen. And at the same time, he's thinking, if I get any closer, I'm going to die because the fiery whirlwind that's coming off of that throne, it's more glory than you and I can imagine. seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven lamps of fire. I, there's, there's differences on what these seven spirits of God are, what they represent. At the very least, those lamps of fire that are burning, they are alive. They're not just fire burning wood. They are, it's fire that's alive. He says, there was a sea of glass like crystal in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures. That sea of glass like crystal. What's interesting is in Daniel, in Ezekiel, with Moses and with John, they all see the sea of glass, all of them. They see this sapphire sea. John says later that he saw it and it was mingled with fire. Daniel says he saw a fiery stream emanating through it. So the sea of glass, is Ezekiel sees it like a sapphire pavement. And the sea of glass, it looks like dark blue, but it looks like it's fire. And it's there before the throne. He's standing on the sea of glass. This is where John is. The souls of those that have died in Christ, they go and they are there in the sea of glass before the throne. Beloved, this is not a fantasy place. This is a real place. This is a literal place. This is a tactile place. There are spatial elements in this place. There are physical elements in this place. This is not a figurative place. Hear me. This is not a figurative place. This is a real, literal place with physicality. Listen, with physicality. What do you mean physicality? I mean, he was really sitting on a real throne that was a physical throne. 
Those lamps of fire and these living creatures and those 24 elders and those 24 thrones, they actually have spatial physicality. If you touch them, you feel them. It's not all whispers and clouds. It's real. It's literal. I explained it this morning, but let me say it again. On that side of the veil, it's physical, literal, and real, and they touch it and feel it and measure it, and they can see this side perfectly. But on this side of the veil, we only perceive that side by the Spirit. We can't see it and touch it and feel it. That side, you can see both sides. This side, we can only see this side. We look to that side by faith, and if Holy Spirit gives us the escort, if he opens the doorway, we can go in and we can touch and feel it on that side. Does that make sense? It's like there's a two, it's like there's a two-way mirror sitting in front of us. On this side, we see the reflection. On that side, you see that side and this side. But when you stepped through the veil on that side, it's real, it's physical. It's not wispy clouds. Don't get your theology from a cartoon. Don't get what heaven is from a cartoon. It's not the cartoon. It's literal. This is a real throne room atop the, the, the heavenly Mount Zion, which is coming out of the New Jerusalem, which is a heavenly city that really has spatial elements and physicality. There really is a, a, a river of life that flows out of the throne, and, and it really does flow down the middle of the street of the New Jerusalem. It's real. Heaven is real. If we live imagining heaven to be some sort of cloud or some sort of figurative, non-literal place, we will live our lives here without purpose and without focus. But, but Abraham, he lived, the father of faith lived looking for the city whose builder and maker was God. He lived knowing that that was a real city and atop that real city is a real throne. And this is the place that John went to. And beloved, when you close your eyes and you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, boom, you are there. This is where we go. I said it this morning, but I'll just say it again. Oftentimes, we treat prayer like it's a Frisbee that we're just trying to throw as high as we can get it, like hopefully somebody up there will catch it, wherever it is. And that's not how it's supposed to go at all. It's supposed to go, Father, in Jesus' name, and we step right into this place, right there on the sea of glass, right before the throne. This is where we have access and the Father, is, he's sitting there ready to hear, ready to answer, and he's smiling and glad, and there's fire coming off of him, and there's pleasure coming off of him, and there's joy coming off of him, and there's thunder coming off of him. And it is this place of, man, can I get any closer without dying? I want to be closer. I don't know if I should. Ah. I mean, it is this place of tension in glory. Unapproachable light, light like a garment. Pleasures evermore. He wraps himself in a, a, with a cloud and darkness, the psalmist said. There's these four living creatures. I'm going to land here. These four living creatures. We have a lion. We have a calf. We have an eagle. We have a man. That's what their heads are but their bodies 
they have six wings. These are the same living creatures that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. He said with two, they cover their feet. With two, they cover their face. With two, they flew. That's what Isaiah saw. John sees them, and he, see, he gives us this detail. They're covered with eyes. Eyes everywhere. And he says they've got eyes all over them and within them. I don't know what that means. I don't know what he meant. I, I, just, I don't know. But there's eye, 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 eye. I mean, they've got eyes everywhere. And in Isaiah 6 and right here in Revelation 4, they're singing the same thing. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of your glory. You know what I've noticed over the years? When I'm engaging the Father on the throne, so often, involuntarily, I'll just start saying that. Holy, holy. It's like, it's like the rhythm of that place begins to permeate me, and it just starts coming out of me. It's the natural response of the created to the uncreated. It's the natural response of the created to the uncreated. You're holy. You're holy. There's nothing like you. There's never been another one like you. Isaiah called them seraphim. They're burning ones. I really appreciated the worship tonight. They, they emphasize that 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 passage where it says, we are being transformed by what we behold, we become, even from glory to glory. And these burning ones, the reason why they're on fire is because they're staring at the God who is fire. And I want to tell you something. If you will stare at him too, you will be on fire. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing a, a conviction in my own soul because you can enter the throne and not look at him. You can be around him but not with him. And I'm saying, God, I do not want to get so familiar that I don't stare right at you and get rocked the wonder of you. I want who you are to fill me with shock and awe. I want to live trembling. I want to be filled with joy, and I want to be filled with a tremble, a holy fear, a reverence of who you are, a reverence of who this God is that's infinite. Beloved, this is what we're called to live like. Believers are not supposed to live going through the motions, sort of checking off. I read my five you know, chapters today. I kind of got it. No, we're supposed to live basically undone. Think about it. Once you step into this place for real, when you step across the veil and you see that, how long is it going to take you to get yourself together? Millions of years. Infinite. This one is infinite. This is the one that became flesh, that became a man. This is the one that poured himself into a human frame and died on a cross. This is the one who came down on Sinai, who split the Red Sea. This is the one who's coming again who was and is and is to come. And this is the one that we have access to. Oh, beloved, 
This is our portion. I want to call us to the beauty of this place, to the wonder of this place. We have full access to this place. Now let's live with our hearts set on this place and let's let this place rewire the way that we think. I'm really, I'm really concerned about this generation, adults and, and young people alike, that we're being wired, rewired by our digital lives. I don't want to be rewired by my digital life. I want to be rewired by reality. By the throne. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, let's stand.